0: The word of our Lord from the epistle to the Hebrews. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. Lord, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. We pray that you would bless its reading to our hearts and to our minds. Lord, shape us by your word. Challenge us through your word and conform us to the image toward which your word calls us. We pray all of this In the name of your eternal Son, the living and eternal Word of the Father. Amen. One of the theological paradigms the Bible uses to help us better understand the church is the family. We are the family of God. As I mentioned a couple of Sundays ago, it's important for us to keep in mind that when the scriptures speak of the church, while particularly I as a theologian like to think of the church in a kind of cosmic sense, that we are connected to the the Catholic church, to the, the church around the world and throughout all time, we've got to keep in mind that that. Us being the family of God is not just in some cosmic sense, some abstract or invisible sense, but in a very tangible, concrete, and even local sense. In fact, the New Testament epistles were mostly written to local congregations of believers in Jesus, local families of followers, or they were written to pastors of local congregations. In fact, it's impossible to find a New Testament epistle that is just written to Christians in all places at all times. Now God's Word is is to His people in all places at all times. The authority of His Word rests over our lives as we call ourselves believers in the God of Scripture. And as we find proclaim ourselves to be followers of Jesus, this word is for us. But as originally written, the letter to the Hebrews, the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, the Philippians, John's epistles, Peter's epistles, Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus and Philemon, those were written to particular groups of people. Because we are the family of God as we gather together as family in him A question that comes to my mind especially as we think about what we have been seeing happening in our culture over the last several generations is we've seen the erosion of of faith and confidence and trust and and um a sense of responsibility and duty that that so many of our culture have found eroding in organized structures particularly the re- organized religious structures but even the organized structures of family one of the questions that comes to my mind is well why the church does the church even matter is it perhaps just an afterthought is is the church is this church, this particular local church, does it even matter? Or, as some would have it, are our religious lives not really religious, but instead just spiritual and individualized where we can connect to God in a private manner and we don't need others, the faith and the faithfulness of others in our lives. And so, why the church, and in particular, why the local church, why this church to bring it back even closer home to us? I want to offer just a a few quick thoughts about why the church. The first is because we are made for relationships. You probably get tired of hearing me say it. We are made in God's image, and God is a relational God. Before creation, God is not alone. He's not lonely. He didn't create us just to have something to do or someone to love. He is eternally love. In the relationships of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God made us in His image to know Him and love Him and to know and love one another and to know and love the world around us. And so in a very pragmatic and practical sense, the church is important because it's in the church, in these relationships that God knits together with other believers in Him that we find the fulfillment of His image in us, that we find relationships with others who are walking in faithfulness toward the same God. But also... We need to learn to love in the context of the church because the church goes beyond natural ties. It goes beyond the natural ties of, of family and bi- biology, it, it goes beyond the natural ties of work and vocation. We all come from different backgrounds. Even those of us that share the same last name have different life experiences and, and different relatives. We've got different things that we've gone through, different hurts, different wishes, different goals, different dreams, different shattered dreams, different ways that we've come to this point, even this morning. We've all had different weeks. Some of us were out of town this week. Some of us were... I was about to say on airplanes. I don't know that any of you are on airplanes this week. I don't see a head nodding, so I guess no airplanes. But one of us will be on an airplane this coming week as Christy makes her way back home to us. So we all have different life experiences. We all come into this thing with different stuff in our backgrounds, different thoughts in our heads, different feelings in our hearts, different memories, different experiences. And so it's in this sort of context of difference and diversity that God wants to bring about the unity of love and the bond of the Spirit, as the Scriptures tell us. And so we're here because we need to learn to love. We need to learn to love people that are different from us, people that don't have the same last name as us, people that don't work at the same place as us. But there's the church, not just for ourselves, but also the church exists, the local church exists, this church exists, because the world needs to be confronted by something different. As we've been considering the relationship of the church and culture over these last quite a few weeks, and as we continue to um, kind of I don't know how else to describe it, but but dissipate um, th- this this um, this series of, of sermons and start dealing with things that we don't always connect to the idea of church and culture. We must keep in mind that the world needs to be confronted with something different than it, something that awakens and startles, something that that intrigues. Something that, that puzzles. You know, it's kind of puzzling what we're doing this morning. Most of the people, and we, for, we, I think we are still living in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the false reality that everybody goes to church, that everybody knows who Jesus is. Most of the people that we drove past this morning are not in church right now. Most of the people living in my neighborhood, nice little quiet neighborhood with good, hard working folks. I don't think any of them owns a yacht or anything like that. They're just kind of your normal average people. Most of them are at home right now. Getting ready for some football. I know Addison and I are getting ready for some football, but we're here. Because there's something different that happens here. There's something peculiar, something that runs contrary to the normal patterns of life that the world offers. And if the church is to offer hope to the world, if the church is indeed to shape culture and challenge culture and rebuke culture when necessary, then the church has to be different. We're the family of God. We bear His name. And He calls us to reflect that name, to, to, to image that name to His lost world in a way that is different, in a way that runs contrary and contradictory to the priorities and values and powers of the world around us. What does Jesus expect to be the defining characteristic of his people? Love. We live in a culture that thinks... It knows what love is. That thinks that it can even define for itself what love is. We love hot dogs. We love football. We love our spouse. We love our dog. But Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples, not even by the good that you do for the world, but by your love for one another. And what is the defining characteristic of love? Sacrifice. Love always requires sacrifice. You see, this was Peter's hang-up, both at Caesarea Philippi and in the upper room. At Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked His disciples, Who do men say that I am, but who do you say that I am? And Peter's the one that answered rightly. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus tells him, good for you, Peter. You're exactly right. That is spot on. That is theologically tight. In fact, you've not just conjured up this thought. And the world hasn't taught you this thought. This has been revealed to you by my Father. And in the very next breath... Jesus tells him he's going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. And Peter says, God forbid that that will ever happen to you. Not on my watch. And Jesus rebukes him and calls him Satan. You see, in Peter's paradigm of a Messiah and of being the people of God, and of the kingdom of God, and of being the family of God, and of love. There was no room for one who would lay down his life. Certainly no Messiah. His people ought to be laying down their lives for him, if anything. But Peter missed the fact that love always requires sacrifice. Even in the heart of the author of love. The one who designed love even holds himself to that standard that love requires sacrifice. In the upper room when Jesus girded himself and took a basin of water and began washing the feet of his disciples. Peter stopped him and said, you'll never wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus told him, you remember the ultimatum from, I mentioned it last week. Unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Unless you allow me to sacrifice my pride, to sacrifice my dignity and serve you humbly, and humiliatingly, you've not allowed me to love you. You see, we think that love we we, we mistakenly think that we can love without being an imposition. Love is an imposition. It's not easy. Love is not always butterflies. Love is not always agreement. Love is not always laughter. Love sometimes sheds tears. Love sometimes argues and disagrees. Love sometimes hurts and wounds. Having a child is always an imposition on a family. Helping the homeless is always an imposition. Reaching out to a neighbor is always an imposition. Jesus is building his church to be a family. And he is doing so by building the local church to be a family. You remember from Luke chapter 8 that Jesus' mother and brothers came to where he was teaching and, and healing and they wanted to, to have a word with Jesus, and, but the crowds were, were too packed. They couldn't get close to him. And so word was sent to Jesus. Hey, your mother and brothers are waiting to see you. And Jesus' response was, and we always take offense to this. Jesus' response is, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Whoa. Whoa. If we're not careful, we overlook the implication of what Jesus is talking about here. The implication is that He is putting together a family. A family of believers, a family of the faithful, a family of those who will follow. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that we're even brought together As the family of God brought into the fellowship, brought into the house of God, he says, through sacrifice, through the death of Jesus, that sacrificing, self-surrendering love. Therefore, brethren, therefore, family, brothers, sisters, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil. Here he's using that temple language that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God and the, the assumption here that we ought to, to connect is that he is high priest and he is also the sacrifice. He is the high priest who lays his own flesh down upon the altar. He says, therefore we've got boldness and let us therefore draw near. For we've been brought into the house of God by one who has sacrificed himself for us. Even on the cross, Jesus was reordering family ties, knitting together the church as a family. On the cross, Jesus looks upon his mom and says, Behold your son. And turns her attention toward John the apostle. And then he Addresses John and says, Behold your mother. And the result of that family tie that Jesus is putting together, that Jesus is knitting, is sacrifice and imposition. In fact, John tells us from that day forward, Mom, went home with John the Beloved. Why does the writer to the Hebrews tell us is the reason why we've been brought together through the sacrifice of Jesus? He tells us that we've been brought together through the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can teach each other about love and encourage each other to love. And not only that, but that this love, to which we are being called, is developed in our lives through sacrifice. And it's evidenced in sacrifice. Notice the commands that the Hebrews writer lays out before us. Let us draw near. Earlier in his epistle, he's been warning us about falling away, about shrinking back, about being discouraged. But he says here, no, no, no. We've been brought to this point. We've been brought into the house of God through sacrifice. Let us draw near. near. Now is not the time to quit. Now is not the time to back away or to shy away or to withdraw. Let us draw near. He then says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Because there's reason to waver. There's reason to be discouraged. There's reason to be frustrated. There's reason to just abandon all hope. But he says, don't quit. Hold fast. And then he tells us, let us consider one another and stir up one another. For those of us who refuse to quit and for those of us who insist on drawing near, we must consider one another. For we ourselves need to be stirred up by one another. And that can't happen without us getting into each other's lives. Whether we prefer... Our privacy, or whether we prefer doing our own thing. God says that as a family, we are called to love one another and not just, oh, I love you, but to stir up one another, to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves, not not abandoning each other. The writer to the Hebrews is essentially saying you've got to prioritize your gatherings. I can tell you one of the things that um is, is uncomfortable about being a pastor there are a number of things that are kind of uncomfortable about being a pastor, but one of the things that doesn't affect you guys, but does affect me and my family, is that we don't make all the family gatherings because we make all the family gatherings. I can't tell you the last time we spent Christmas Eve with my mom's side of the family which was and still is a family tradition every single Christmas Eve growing up that was what we did we went to communion service at church and then afterwards we went to the family Christmas party and I don't I don't bemoan that because God has I hope they don't listen (laughs) I didn't expect to say this, and so I'm kind of off the cuff here. David, we can get in trouble if we're off the cuff sometimes. But in all reality, I would rather be gathering together with my church family to receive the Lord's Supper on Christmas Eve than hanging out and eating turkey and ham and dips and... Beer weenies and sausage balls and all those things. Because this is the fulfillment of God's calling upon my life. God has knit us together as a family, and families prioritize their gatherings, they prioritize getting together. exhorting one another, challenging one another, holding one another accountable, shaping one another. Not just saying, oh, well, that's got nothing to do with me. That's just my brother in Christ. That makes no sense. The, the, the rhetorical question that, uh, that Cain asked of God, am I my brother's keeper? is assumed in the text to be answered contrary to what Cain insists was was expecting Cain's expecting look I'm not his, I'm not his schedule keeper but the implication is yes you are your brother's keeper Yahweh just asked you where is your brother what have you done So how does a family love? I said that love demands sacrifice, but how does a family love? What does family love look like? I came across um, five brief descriptions of how a family loves this week. And I want to share those with you. The first is that family members encourage and appreciate one another. The scriptures call for us to edify, and I like that word because, because it runs so contrary to, to our typical usage of words. You know, when's the last time you heard the term edify? You probably have not heard that word ever used in any other context other than a religious context. That's not a, a political word. You don't hear that word on the news. You don't read that word in the paper unless it's the religion section. You've probably only read that word in your Bible or a Bible study book. But families are called to edify each other. Family members encourage and appreciate one another. They shape one another by the use of their words. Secondly, families, family members arrange their schedules so that they have time together. That's when you know that a marriage either is in trouble or soon will become in trouble when there's no more time being spent together. Because family members, the family shows love by family members arranging their schedules so that they have time together. Because that time together is valuable. And therefore, number three, there is a higher level of commitment. You know, your, your commitment to your family is different than your commitment to your next door neighbor. And that's not a bad thing. That's how God designed us. But as the family of God, we've got to have Priorities. And if we take seriously the fact that God has called us to be His family, then our level of commitment to one another is higher than our level of commitment to other things that we instead could be doing. Number four, has a family love? Positive communication is practiced. You know, communication ought to happen naturally. You know, for a husband and wife to talk to one another, it probably ought to be more than just a scheduled time in the evening after all the kids are in bed. Communication ought to be natural. But sometimes, good communication does require intentionality. Setting aside time to speak to one another. That's one of the reasons, not the only reason, but that is one of the reasons why we worship weekly, is so that we can set aside time to prioritize and to intentionalize our communication, our communication with God, worshiping Him, praying to Him, and listening to Him, receiving His Word, our communication with one another as we edify and encourage and shape and challenge one another. Families communicate to show love with the weather coming in in Irma. One of the things I want to encourage you as head of this family is if the weather gets bad, communicate with one another. I know sometimes that falls on the pastor and you know emails got to be sent out and you know you want folks to check in on one another but if family cares for one another then family communicates with one another. And so you start hearing about power outages even if your house is fine pick up the phone and call call one another, check in. That's called communicating. And that doesn't have to happen in an organized way. It should happen in an organized way, but it doesn't just have to happen in an organized way. In fact, on that note, we've shared why some folks are out this morning. If you care about your brothers and sisters, let them know you care. Communicate. I was encouraged incredibly a few weeks ago when I was copied on a text where one of our church members was reaching out to one that was out. without me having to say, hey, you ought to do that. But just naturally encouraging, hey, we miss you this morning. Praying for you. The fifth way that a family loves one another is that the family responds positively to problems and crises. Crises. You know, last week I preached on anger and frustration. And one of the things I said was that if you want to know if your anger is righteous anger, then ask yourself have you prayed for the one that has made you angry? Are you praying? It's easy for us to see this morning as a problem and a crisis. We show up. A lot of people are out. Folks are sick. Some are doing other things. But family that loves one another responds positively to problems. Do we just get frustrated, aggravated, angry? Or do we say, you know what? I love these people. And I won't quit. What sort of love are we modeling? What sort of values are we modeling what sort of priorities what sort of life are we modeling because little eyes are watching our children are seeing what is the character of our love not just in our family but in our family. This body. Remember Jesus said that for one to harm the faith of a child, it'd be better for a millstone to be tied around his neck and for him to be cast out into the depths of the sea. Not just these children, but in our community. Children are watching. They're looking to see what sort of love mom and dad for ha- have for one another. They're looking to see what sort of love the local church has for one another. Because not only are little eyes watching, but also blind eyes are watching the world. We can bemoan the state of things in the world around us and we can become aggravated with the culture around us. But if the church is no different, then we are failing ourselves, we are failing our Lord, and we are failing the blind eyes of the world that are watching. The church's love has to be different than what the world is offering Because God's family is a different kind of family. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, It is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with with Christian brethren. This is a good thing. This is a gift of God to us. A guy named Joe Hellerman said, when the church was a family, the church was on fire. That can be said about our church as well. One of the things that guests have said about our church and the reason why so many have become regulars in our church is because they say, you know what? I like that our church is a family. That folks care. That folks are connected to one another. That folks know one another. And so we've got some brothers and sisters to be caring for. Not to get aggravated with. Not to despair over. But to care about and to sacrificially, of ourselves, love. And our children are watching, and the world is watching. And Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples by how you wash one another's feet, by how you love. And in the end, if that doesn't matter, nothing else matters. Let's pray.